Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 this morning. I bought a game once. It was one of those long strategy war games. It was situational. Took hours to play. I saw it and I said, I, I, I've got to get that. And I got it. It's in a cool box. And I took the box off and took all the parts out and separated all of the... Uh, uh, representatives of the units of the armies that uh, the combatants would uh, combine. I put the theater of war out there and I thought, oh, this will be great. And I read the directions and uh, found them utterly mystifying. Um, I read them again uh, and quite frankly, I've never played the game. The difficulty level was off the charts. I wanted to play, but I could never figure out how. So I uh, tried several times and finally gave up, put it all back in the box, and put it on the shelf. It's still there. This morning, the box in the closet. I just gave up and walked away from the game. Now, who cares about a game? But do you know that some do that with the Christian life? Others have invited them to come And join those who are following Jesus Christ. Come to this life. And what's not to come for? The grace of God. The mercy of God. Given to us in Jesus Christ. Notwithstanding our sin. Because on Good Friday he resolved that. And the despair and the death. And the hopelessness of our broken world. Was altered. When, in fact, Jesus was raised from the dead on that first Easter morning. And many of us have come to follow Jesus. But some come to hang around the crowd and they say, okay, how do I live for him? What does it look like to now live the Christian life? And to them, it seems not dissimilar to the instructions for that game that I purchased. I could never do this. I don't know how. I don't even understand where to get started. Elton Trueblood was fond of saying, the Christian life is not found weighed and wanting, but found misunderstood and untried. And so the question before us as we come to these two iconic verses in the book of Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2, The question before us is, are we practicing what it is to look like to follow Jesus in life? Do we know how to do it here? Come with me to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read it to you this morning. It's my privilege reading from the English Standard Version. And remember, it's built on top of Chapters 1 through 11. He turns a corner here. We've watched these corners before. Uh, He began to explain the good news about Jesus and the free gift of a righteous standing in Christ before a God who is holy, notwithstanding our sin. That's what comes to us when we are delivered from the consequences of our sin and the gift of salvation. And he gets to Romans 5.1, and he says, Therefore, being made right with God by faith, we have 
peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we revel in that peace. Then we go a few more chapters and he uses therefore again. Chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What a happy word. What a what good news. No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Then we get to chapter 12, and he uses therefore again. We're turning another corner. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Hear the word of the Lord. I'd like to go two different directions this morning. In point one, I want to look with you at the three charges here. Present your bodies. Do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed by renewing your mind. Those are the three big ideas in these two verses. And then secondly, I want us to unpack what faithfulness looks like. Practically, how do we live the Christian life that we've been called to? So that's our plan of attack this morning. First, where is the model of the life committed to Jesus Christ? What does it look like? How do we do it? Here the Apostle Paul practically unpacks simple disciplines for living for Jesus. Paul makes first two overarching points. Point number one, commitment to Christ works itself out in the everyday business of holiness. That is, that our following Jesus involves not ours on Sunday solely and alone and uniquely as separated from the other hours of the week. But it's to follow Jesus is a pursuit that involves our routines and the everyday business of dollar cost averaging normal, usual, routine pedestrian life. Such that whatever we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, the simplest of things, we do all to the glory of God. So commitment to Christ works itself out in the everyday business of holiness. And it works itself out in this first word that we run into here is the word sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living Sacrifice. Because each day, the life that we live out in our bodies, and by the way, we've never done anything that wasn't in our bodies. What is being referred to is the totality of life. We go to work and animate life through the glorious bodies that God has 
given us. And whatever we do, we do through our bodies. We make speech through our tongue. We make decisions with our will, tied in with our neurology in this extraordinary body. We go with our feet where we go. We feel with our hands the things that we feel. All of life is prosecuted through our body, which Paul says fundamentally living for Christ in light of all of that he has explained in the gospel involves offering our bodies unto the Lord. Now, to think of that term sacrifice, some of us go back and think like the book of Leviticus and the sacrifices described there. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses a group of words that are surrounding the Old Testament sacrificial vocabulary and the liturgy of approaching the Lord. Sacrifice, holy, found acceptable, spiritual worship, sacrifices offered to the Lord. It is the language of bringing something before the Lord. Here, our lives symbolically framed in our bodies. Remember Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness, but in speech and conduct, faith and life and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Well, speech and life and faith and conduct and purity, we prosecute all of those through our bodies and how we live. Now along the way, a Greek thinker that was around 300 years before Jesus was born named Plato, uh, a smart guy. And remember, the Greeks were the thinkers, the Romans were the doers. And even though uh, Rome took over Greek's empire, Rome was still laced with thoughts. And so some decided to merge the stream of Plato's thoughts, fancily called Platonism, with Christianity and um, because Plato, one of his ideas was that material things like the body, that's evil. But the spirit, spiritual things, oh, that's, that's really good. So that led to thoughts in Christianity like our bodies are trash and uh, we ought not uh, care for our bodies. They don't matter, but really matter. what matters is our soul. Uh, we are a soul-body unity together as one whole and our bodies matter asceticism and flagellations you say eric where'd that stuff ever come from it came from plato's ideas seeping into some christian ideas and kind of making a thought omelet and somebody thought would be good if you beat yourself you'd be more holy if you did that uh it's not a biblical idea but what is a biblical idea is that our body becomes a here it is holy instrument for living and we have the opportunity to sacrifice it, offer it up, which is symbolic of an offered up life. Wherever we go, whatever we say, whatever we do, or speech, conduct, faith, life, and purity, we show ourselves an example of those who believe. Now, the, the second overarching point that Paul accents is this. The committed understand seductive threats and sharpen their awareness of the way of Christ. Notice what he says. Do not be conformed to this world. 
There are seductive threats in this world's system. We could say the spirit of the age. Now, some of us have longer tenures than others of us. And we can look back upon former days when the spirit of the age was dissimilar than the spirit of our present age. But here we are, neck deep in whatever is the spirit of our age. And immersed as we are in our age, we can begin, even unwittingly, tragically, unconsciously, take on board the spirit of our age. But what he says is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the committed understand the seductive threats and sharpen their awareness of the way of Christ. A faithful follower of Jesus knows of the daily resolve that is required to stay at this matter of a life pleasing the Lord. The word vigilance is in play here. But Eric, unpack vigilance. What's vigilance look like? What what do you mean? Let me say two things about that. First, when we come to Jesus, we change life guides. We change life guides and live under the influence of Christ. This is about don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are really only two guides in life the way of Christ, and the way of the world. You say, Eric, that's irreducibly way too simple. But think of it with me. There are a million variations of the ways of the world. But really, there's only two. There's the way of Christ or the way of the defining spirit of our age. And the defining spirit of our age could be best characterized as going our own way. We like our ideas better. There's a long history in humanity of just doing it on our own and going our own way. Adam thought that his way was better than God's way prescribed for him. By the way, how's that working out for us? Not well. There was a Jewish proverb, Proverbs 14, 12, that said, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so in this sacrifice, we present the substance of our living, of our life, unto God as a sacrifice. We sacrifice. We give up something. What do we give up? We're giving up our own way. And we're adopting his way, Christ's way, as our own. This is a reasonable act of worship. It's a reasonable, logical response to what God has done. In Christ, there's a hymn sung in a former generation, my life I give, henceforth to give, O Lamb of God who died for me. So that the center of our existence, according to Paul, in these instructions for how to live the Christian life, the center of our existence is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us moves us to give up our life for him and live 
his way and for his glory. That's what he's getting at. What is the center of your life existence? What is the animating center of your will that explains the decisions that you make, the decisions that I make? Why do we live the way we live? When I was in college, the man who discipled me sat me down and took me through a list of what he called the seven aspects of a vertical relationship with God. And it was seven disciplines that a follower of Jesus practices that helps him understand or helps her understand how to live this life that we've been called to in following Jesus. And I believe number one was this. When you get out of bed in the morning, you put your feet on the ground. And after thanking God for the day, you say, now, Lord, I will with life go with this body. And I'm not arguing you are separate from your body. We are our bodies. We are embodied selves. But where we go with our body, we feet on the ground. First discipline of seven aspects is we offer our day to the Lord. God, wherever I go, whoever I see, whatever I say, whatever I do, I need your help to animate life in this body so that I would bring glory to the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Remember, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So I thought of that seven aspects this week as I was pouring through this passage Uh, It is about recognizing that our lives, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we glorify God in our bodies, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Now, the second thing that explains this, the committed understand, the seductive threats, and sharpen their awareness of the way of Christ, we must reprogram our minds to grasp the way to life in the way of Christ. We don't come by this naturally. Look at verse 2. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. How, Paul? By the renewal of your mind. What is that? That's about what we read. That's about what we are preoccupied with. That's about what we are exposed to. That's about what we intentionally use to refresh our minds. That's about disciplined study. That's about learning. That's about reminders. It's interesting. Paul, uh, Peter gets to 2 Peter and he says, I'm not going to write you anything new. I'm going to remind you of what I've already told you. Does anybody else in the room need reminders of what God has invited us to do? Joshua 1.8. Oh, Eric, I like that part of that verse, that promise to Joshua. Then you shall find success. Do you realize before you ever get to then you shall find success, you have to crawl across, you will meditate on the word day and night. That's how you get to the end. But you don't get to the end until you traverse through such meditation. Eric, what are we doing in our children's ministry? What are we doing in our youth ministry? What are we doing in our student ministry? What are we doing in our college ministry? What are we doing with our adults? 
we are renewing our minds through studying the Word of God together. I walked into Daryl's ABF this morning, and there's a season where, uh, as a discipline, as a class, after having read a chapter, they all ponder it for several minutes, turn a little music on, and I interrupted the pondering this morning uh, to make sure that Daryl was aware of a need in their, their class and characteristic of he and Laura, they were. Um, you say, well, what in the world are they doing that for? Because we desperately need to renew our minds. Notice the threat is conformity to the party line. And so we're not into conformity. Let's make up a word. We're into, according to Paul here, transformity. That we are transformed. We are transfixed. That's literally the word. The same word shows up in Matthew 17 too at the transfiguration. The disciples got around Jesus and he was, here it is, transfixed. In their presence, Matthew 17, 2. It's the same word in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. About having the glory of God revealed in the word of God change us. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being, here's the word, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do we need to be more earnest in giving ourselves to disciplines that renew our minds? I don't know about you, but through the years and still unto today, I need to send my mind to repatriation camp to be exposed afresh to the glory of Jesus and the life that he has called us to. Are we or are we not full of the spirit of our age? Or are we full of the word of God with a renewed mind? That's what he's discussing here. He wants us to take a lid off the box of the Christian life and have at it. Eric, how do you do it? You offer your body to the Lord, recognizing that all of life every minute becomes an act of worship. You know, America was made great, built on the Protestant work ethic. Now it went to seed and and, um, it just turned several into really bad workaholics. That's not a God-honoring thing. But it was built on this vision that all of my life is offered to God as a gift, including my work life. And that my industry and my faithfulness and my fulfillment of obligation is a statement I'm making to God about my gratitude for him giving his son. So I give my life up to these ends so that God might be pleased, not worshiping my work, but offering to God the gift of my worship in the quality work that I should, that I I offer when I work. By the way, if you pray along with us and access Calvary, a, uh, 10 things to pray for for this week um, discipline that we have here. You can join the email list. You can just contact Karen Geiger, Geiger at cbckyorg She'll put your name on the list. I'll publish, I'll type up 10. She'll send them out in the morning. During Labor Day week, we prayed for our labor. Why not have 
the good folks that make up Calvary Baptist Church be the greatest employees at their corporation that are there. Such that the work offered is stellar, great, excellent, over and above work. Why? To be noticed? No, to have them notice our Savior because we're doing it for Him. And we offer our work as unto the Lord. Wow, wouldn't that revolutionize the American economy if that's how everyone went to work tomorrow morning? There's a big cadre of folks now arguing for a 32-hour week and a 40% pay hike, you know, uh, in the middle of a discussion about that, where the follower of Jesus is given to honor the Lord with the duties that are in front of her and him. Now, let's identify the committed then. What is, what is the nature of a life following Jesus? Let's take the lid off the box. We're looking at the directions. Let's note three challenges that arise from these two verses. Remember, uh, I appeal to you. That's the language of the English Standard Version in 12.1. This is the old beseech in the King James Version. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Now, that sounded really cool. Nobody knew what beseech was, and, and we don't use that term anymore. I beseech thee. We, we, we don't use that. It, it, the, the term, the force of the term is to make an appeal, a persuasive call. Let's note three challenges from these two verses. Number one, no one offers their life to God who's not marked by God's mercy. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, what is the basis of your appeal, Paul? Here it is, by the mercies of God. Did you note that mercies is plural? It's not one mercy that we've received from God in Christ. It's an unceasing stream of mercy that we get in Him. Remember, mercy keeps us from what we do deserve. We need that mercy, and that's exactly what we get in Jesus Christ. What a Savior. In light of those mercies, or what Isaac Watts would say, wouldn't he call it streams of mercy? Never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Three challenges. No one offers their life to God who's not marked by God's mercy. Are we a Calvary people who are marked by God's mercy? Lives marked by the mercy of God joyfully follow him. Dave Jeremiah said this, what God has already done for the Christian is the basis of everything a Christian does for God. It's like this. Let me show you another picture from the Gospels, Mark 12, 42. The picture of the person described as a poor widow. Two strikes against her. Widow. Her husband's gone. In the first century, primary breadwinner, gone. Her resources are gone. And she's also described as poor. And she takes two copper coins and she drops them in the offering. The disciples who know she is poor and a widow are puzzled as to why she would offer such sacrifice. Why? Why would she do that? Lord, look at her. 
That widow, just, she, she just put in these two pieces. She offered that because she had never seen her sustenance riding on those two coins. She had always seen her sustenance riding on the God to whom she gave this gift. And so it was out of a recognition that God was caring for her that in his mercy she had been sustained into that day that she offered that gift. Why on earth would a destitute woman give her substance away? She had concluded that her sustenance was never centered in her money, but in her Lord. In light of the great sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus Christ, the basis of the, the appeal here, the appeal is the sacrifice. The basis, the ground of the appeal are the manifold mercies of God. Why is it that people give so much of their time to the mission of Calvary Baptist Church? Why is it that people give so much of their talents to the mission of Calvary Baptist Church? Why would anyone give 15% of their gross income to the mission of Calvary Baptist Church? Why would they do it? Well, how about this? They have been overwhelmed by the mercies of God to such an extent that they have found in Him all that they need for life and godliness and in tribute to Him and these manifold mercies they offer up themselves. Yes, the word sacrifice is in play. Who are we living for? What are we living for? Why? How about Jesus Christ? Why would we live for him, Eric? Because of his manifold mercies. Isaac Watts said, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Second challenge from these verses, the threat of conformity to the spirit of our age is constant and ever increasing. Do not be conformed to this world. That equals, do not be conformed to the world's way of life, to the spirit of our age. Uh, John said in 1 John 2, 16, all that is in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eye, in the boastful pride of life. By the way, does a fish know it is wet? Have you ever thought that thought? You say, Eric, that's, that's all a fish has ever known. Well, all we have ever known is the spirit of the age that we've grown up in in America. Newsflash, the way of Christ is dissimilar to the spirit of the age we find ourselves in right now. The cultural current is going against the grain of the life that God has called us to. We constantly have to monitor that. We are children of the kingdom of God. We're children of the age that is to come, not the present, described in the New Testament, present evil age. We're surrounded by this age. You, you, you know the expression, the frog in the kettle? Could it be so immersed as we are in the spirit of the age that our goose has got cooked and we don't even know it? The temperature has been turned up 
And we've taken on board the mores of our age, the thoughts of our age. All the sweetness of the renewal brought to the mind by exposure to the word of our Lord. The phrase is called drink the Kool-Aid. Usually we are urged, don't drink the Kool-Aid. It's actually a tragic metaphor that comes from November 18, 1978 in Guyana in South America when Jim Jones took a bunch of people down there as a crazed cult leader and invited them all to drink the Kool-Aid on that fateful day. Over 600 adults and 304 children drank the Kool-Aid. It was lethal. It was deadly. It was mass suicide, and they didn't even know what was coming. Our culture constantly invites us to drink the Kool-Aid of its ideas. But what is true is that lurking death awaits So an important question for us to ask as we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2 is how much is our age pushing us into its mold? Finally, the third challenge is this. Renewing our minds is the only way to be ready to live well in our age. We need constant renewal. Now, renewal is one of our four Words that describe our discipleship process here at Calvary. First, we invite people to rely upon Jesus Christ as their hope for eternal salvation. Not their self-righteousness. They give up on relying on that. And they rely on Christ's righteousness, which is given to them as a gift when they believe. Rely on Christ. But then we need to renew our minds. Our minds have become foolish and dark. According to Romans 1, we've suppressed the self-evident truth about Christ and what is revealed about God in creation. Our minds have been darkened. It's because of the deceitfulness of sin. Well, how do you cut through the darkness, uh, the deceitfulness of sin, uh, our, our foolishness? Our foolish minds, how do we cut through that? By renewing our minds. Rely on Jesus, renew our minds, relate to each other. Christianity takes a life and proves its integrity in how we relate to each other. And there's a way that Christ wishes for us to relate that is not the way of the world. Even in the reading this morning, you heard what we are to discard and what we are to take on. Uh, Being uh, a spiritual house, offering the sacrifices of our lives to our Lord from that passage that Jared read uh, in 1 Peter. Well, finally then, reflect. We reflect Jesus Christ before a watching world. Our four R's. Rely, renew, relate, reflect. Eric, where did you ever get renew? Got it from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's very fundamental to taking the box off of living the Christian life and reading the instructions. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. You renew. We renew our minds. Jesus said, sanctify them. Set them apart, Lord. He's praying. John 17, 17. Through your truth, your word is 
truth. With renewed minds, we're able to discern. Did you notice that? Discern what the will of the Lord is. Is not it true that we've never lived in an age where more people were confused? Confused about life? Confused about what to do? I'm just confused. Well, according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, when we sacrifice our bodies to the Lord, resist conformity to the spirit of our age and renew our minds, there comes to us an ability that's glorious to discern clearly what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, you may have heard a really super bad sermon that basically, oh, there's three tiers of the will of God. You pick one, whatever one you want. You know, there, there, there's the acceptable. That's kind of the lower tier for the ne'er-do-well followers of Jesus. Then there's the good, but if you're really a special forces soldier, you'll, you'll, you'll do the perfect will of God. No, it's three words describing the glory of the will of God revealed to us. Remember, the will of God is never what we must find, but always what we must do that has already been revealed. And so we, with a renewed mind, are able to discern. We're not confused. Have a sound mind able to discern what to do. We then engage in the discipline of 2 Corinthians 10, 5 where we wrestle down every high thought that throws itself up against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ. That's what he describes in this act of our minds as we live life. John Stott said this, I love it. The one committed to God sees life with a sure eye. Don't you want to see life with a sure eye? Oh, Eric, I want that. How do I see life with a sure eye? Well, start this. Sacrifice your body to our Lord in each day's life. Beware of conformity to the spirit of the age and push back by having your mind transformed through exposure to God's truth. Have we trained our minds to discern God's will and joyfully embrace it? Every once in a while, I'll run into a statement, and it's like, wow, I wish I would have said that. That's because I'm proud. It's just really good. It's succinct. It captures the whole thing. Chuck Swindoll, in commenting on Romans 12, 1 and 2, said this. There is one problem with a living sacrifice. It always wants to crawl off the altar. And isn't that true? There's a sense in which this posture before our Lord to live the Christian life must be renewed day after day after day. And not only the posture of offering our body to the Lord to animate life, speech, conduct, faith, life, and purity, but also it's a day after day discipline of pushing back against the seductive spirit of our age which wants us to go with them and renewing our mind with a constant effort that enables us to see clearly the will of God and joyfully do it. Let's pray. Father, this morning we pour over Romans 12, 1 and 2. And as we are here in your presence, I wonder, 
how the Spirit of God is using your word in our lives. Father, who is here this morning that cannot remember as a follower of Jesus the last time with intention they said to you, Lord, I give you my life in sacrifice. I'm going to subliminate my will for yours and what you want for me in life. And who need this morning to present themselves to you in some fresh way. I wonder, Lord, who's affirmed this morning who has spent a substantial portion of their mental energy on renewing their minds so that they could understand the will of God and understand the ways, the insidious ways that the spirit of our age had seeped into how we live and how we think and how we act. Father, just let them hear from you. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I see you, beloved son, and the work you are doing to renew your mind through the word of God. For those, Lord, in confusion this morning, God has not given us the spirit of confusion, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Fill our minds with your truth so that we might live well. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And just before we sing, Lord, and as we're in your presence, I wonder if anyone would want to stand just for a moment and then sit back down and say to you, Father, you know what? The Spirit of God has spoken to my heart this morning and I'm listening. I'm going to obey. I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. I don't know just the way that God may have spoken to you, but Jay's going to play just a moment and not as a play act, a gimmick, but before a God before whom we shall stand this morning in this moment, you just want to stand up and say, Lord, I'm afresh presenting myself to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. 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 Lord, see us. We all struggle. We have a great Savior who holds on to us and is able to keep us from stumbling and is able to preserve us without fault nor blame and with great joy at his coming. To you, we give our lives this morning afresh. Thank you for these who stood. Father, may your spirit be active at our church to do things that matter that will shape our lives for eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's